Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's business soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. When it comes to starting a business, there are so many elements. What do you do? Franchising. Well, franchising is often and one of the most popular ways to get into business. We called upon our good friend, the former chairman of the board of the International Franchise Association, Mr. James Amos. You may recognize his brand, what was once mailboxes, etc., is now the UPS store. Jim Amos is going to be joining us on the tips, tools, and techniques of getting into your own business through franchising. Jim, welcome to another serving of Business Soup. Well, it's terrific to be here. Thank you for asking me. Jim, you and I go back many decades. You go back to the early days of what was pre-UPS stores to the store right around the corner from me, and that was mailboxes, etc., which then blew up into the UPS stores. You are the former head of the International Franchise Association. In your words, just what is franchising? Franchising is a very old concept, but it is a way of exponentially growing a concept, our business, by using other people's money, frankly, and really expanding the depth and breadth of your outreach, not only across the country, but internationally. In fact, the concept of franchising, as I just alluded to, goes all the way back to 1840s in Germany, when the major ale brewers really gave exclusive rights to sell their products to certain travelers. But the guru of modern franchising is Isaac Singer, who in 1858 built Singer sewing machines, believe it or not. That method of franchising, which is often referred to as the product distribution method, was picked up by many manufacturers, including Coca-Cola, and it's used all over the United States and international markets today. What you're really referring to, however, is business format franchising, which is we hear in the likes of McDonald's, and you alluded to mailboxes, etc., That concept, mailboxes, you were asking about, we built to over 5,000 locations, and I sold that to UPS in 2001. Yes, I remember that well. I couldn't find you after that sale. (laughs) Well, I disappeared. (laughs) Today, of course, they're all UPS stores. Well, and so the business format in the franchising, it includes not only a product, but a service and a trademark. It's a complete method of doing business. And the value is that if you have no idea when you retire and you say, you know what, hon, I want to have our own business and here's what I want to do. But maybe like myself, when I created a business, didn't know what I was doing. I looked at it and what I was taught from my angel investor was that the business is a bridge. You get from one place to another, but building the bridge is where franchising can come in. And what I lacked was knowing how to build that bridge. And franchise does that for you. They build the bridge. Well, that's true. And that's an interesting way of looking at it. To understand the depth and breadth of franchising, the International Franchise Association Educational Foundation created our our commission, the first really look economic impact of, of franchise businesses in 2004. What we found is that there were close to 10 million jobs generated with over $229 billion in payroll, operating almost a million franchise business units. 
franchises stimulate the rest of the economy with purchasing power and output. In fact, interestingly enough, uh, business format franchising generates $1.53 trillion of economic output, which is greater than the gross domestic product of China. So it's a big business. And it's a big business because it takes hold in the hearts of people who have a dream for themselves, have a desire for net worth and freedom and to perhaps have an impact in their communities. So it's very exciting. I call it an economic or an elegant economic engine, and it's uh, just wonderful. And as you say, it affords a lot of people the opportunity to go into business for themselves, but not be by themselves. There are actually 85 categories of businesses out there that have franchising relationships, everything from pet care to real estate and hotels and everything you can think of, really mailboxes. That's correct. <laughs> We're talking with Jim Amos, the former franchisee and franchisor, starting off with mailboxes, et cetera, and now a consultant and has been involved in the franchise industry. And of course, Business Soup is always advocating, have your own business. Doesn't matter what it is, just have one. And we will show you here on Business Soup how you can take advantage of and use the tax code once you have your own business. And one of the best ways to do that, if you've never done it, is to get into franchising. What's the number one thing that I need to look at when I walk into one of the franchise conventions? What am I going there for and what should I have in my pocket other than money? Which booth to walk into and which one do I sign up with? I wrote a book a number of years ago called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Franchising. And inside that book, I have a franchise quiz. And I put it in there to help you evaluate yourself as a potential franchisee. And it asks such questions as, why do you want to be a franchisee? In other words, what is most appealing to you and what's least appealing? What are your financial goals? Do you require a large annual income? Do you need to turn a profit right away? Do you need help coming up with the initial fee? How does your family feel about your decision? I mean, these are very practical things that have an impact. Can your immediate family survive without an income for six to 12 months? Have you put together a business plan? Do you have specialized technical skills that might apply to one business category over another? Do you know any franchisees that you can talk to? Are you comfortable with conforming to rules and standards? And can you go without a vacation? And that sounds horrible. But I, <laughs> you know, this is not buying a job. You have to be committed to your dream. And I think that is extraordinarily important. And when I say that, because there's commonality amongst all franchisees, I've been blessed to put over 10,000 people into business in my franchising career. Most of them are still there today, which I'm very grateful for and proud of, by the way. And you were just alluding to the benefits of it. So I would, in that same book, you know, I listed the advantages of being a franchise. And, and one of them is you don't have to come up with the idea. You don't have to come up with a business plan. You know, the business procedures and the format are there. You don't have to start from scratch. And because they're there and because they have established track records, franchises inspire trust. Consumers are comfortable with the brand, as an example. I chair the board at uh, Agile Pursuits at Procter & Gamble, who franchises Mr. Clean Performance Car Washes and Tide Organic Cleaners. And I can tell you that kind of brand imprint is extraordinarily helpful when you're going into business. You know, it could be McDonald's or, as you say, the UPS store or Burger King or whatever it happens to be. 
brand recognition. You get comfortable understanding, oh, there's a McDonald's. No matter what McDonald's I go into, this is what I can expect. There's that brand recognition. And the moment that you buy into a franchise, you have that brand recognition regardless of the product or service that you're buying into. Well, that's absolutely correct. And what's important about that is both the beginning and the end game. In the beginning, that brand will be predictable and will be a comfort to consumers and customers that want to use your product or service. At the end, when you want to exit your business, I mean, it's very simple. If I open Jim's Hamburgers here in Dallas and I do a million dollars in sales, but across the street from me is McDonald's that does a million dollars in sale. If they both want to sell those businesses, I can promise you the one with the brand recognition is going to go for a higher multiple than Jim's hamburgers. That's just the way it is. So it's an asset from beginning to end. And, you know, you've got help. There are standards there that ensure quality and uniformity and predictability, which is why people make themselves available to the product or service at hand. You've got ongoing support. You get everything from when you say, I want one of these, they can say, all right, we'll find you a location. Where do you want to do business with? And they have a real estate acquisition department. They will do the business modeling for you, and they will tell you where you need to be in business for the best bang for your buck. It's taking you by the hand and actually building the bridge for your business so that the customers can cross over that bridge utilizing your business. That's how it was modeled to me when I got my first investor ever. That's very true, although I would say more often than not, the franchisor won't select the location for you. They'll provide the guidance and uh, seek approval, but you have to make that location selection yourself. You get training and preparation. You, you get pride of ownership. Listen, the franchisor and franchisee, there's the trademark, logo, service mark, operating support, training, pride of ownership, marketing support. It's why franchises have become powerhouses. All that support and predictability that they put in the hands of a budding entrepreneur who is seeking a profit from the operating model that the franchisor provides. You mentioned early on what makes up a franchise. Well, there are three things. The trademark, logo, service mark, uh, the operating model, and the transfer of consideration within six months of the first meeting with a potential franchisee. If you're missing any two of those, it's a, maybe a license or a business development system, but it's not a franchise. If you take all three of those boxes, it becomes a franchise, and as you pointed out, particularly the operating model. McDonald's was McDonald's until Ray Kroc came along and plugged in the operating model and began to duplicate that from location to location. It's what made it a franchise. You made an interesting comparison, a franchise and licensing. What is the difference between a licensing agreement and a franchising agreement? Most often, it's just what we talked about. If you remember Singer Sewing Machines, Coca-Cola, and all of the car brands, you get a license to use that brand or product in the area that you are in, but you are not getting a complete operating model. So the most significant difference in a franchise and a license is one has a total operating model and the other does not. And so if I have a product that I want licensed or I want then I can go through a licensing agent and then 
basically I become the licensor and people come to me and they license my product, my service, my idea. As opposed to a franchise, they're buying the complete package where they get my product, say using the McDonald's model. They All goods and services come from one resource and I am the retailer. I distribute that product and service through my countertops at my point of sale. That is correct, although I think it's extraordinarily important to understand when that brand goes up, if you happen to have Tide on the front of your store, cleaners, well, that's got a billion dollars of brand equity before the first customer walks through your door. How, what kind of an advantage of that? It's remarkable. So, you know, I think the advantages of, of franchising have demonstrated themselves over decades, which is why it has the depth and breadth and economic impact that it has today. Truly powerful. Well, brand recognition, as you pointed out there with the name Tide, it's hard to create that on your own. If you just open up the doors and say, here I am, having that brand recognition comes with a fee, but that fee also includes a much greater chance of success because you're getting people in just from the brand recognition itself. Well, there's no question about that. That's part of what the trade and exchange is about between the franchisee and franchisor. And it's what you want. I mean, it is quite remarkable. People say, well, if that's so great, what are, you know, are there disadvantages? And my answer to that uh, would be, yes, of course there are. As I mentioned earlier, uh, far and away, the majority of the 10,000 folks I've put into business in my career are still there. And that's one of the advantages. If I looked at disadvantages, some folks would say there's a certain loss of independence. And uh, that's perhaps true because you have rules and operating procedures and some people chafe against those kinds of constraints. But I can tell you this for sure. If you were a franchisor and you put billion dollars of equity into your brand, you don't want someone come along and making decisions at the line that would harm that brand equity. So you have to have compliance. Can't change the formula of how you cook the French fries just because you like grandma's recipe better. Well, you can, but you might end up destroying the business. I've seen that happen through the years. I remember once in W. Root Beer locations in Asia where the master franchisee they just came along and decided he'd change the formula for the root beer. And, well, uh, how'd that work for him? Not well. <laughs> I mean, you just can't allow that type of thing to happen. You ask about other disadvantages, startup costs potentially could be a burden. I would say about 88% of franchisors charge an initial franchise fee of $40,000 or less. But that fee doesn't cover expenses like real estate, payroll, equipment, insurance, and other needs. So you have to have operating capital. But those are the same expenses you'd experience in starting your own business from scratch with none of the support or track to run on. Well, sure. And if you're opening up a restaurant, you're going to have tenant improvements. You're going to have your lease negotiations. You have to establish relationships with your suppliers. And yes. on the downstroke, if you're not already in the restaurant business and you make these arrangements, you're going to pay a very hefty price for new equipment. And if you want to finance it, then there's the flooring. There's all the aspects that a lot of people don't understand come with starting a business. And in this example, a restaurant, that you're going to get all that support with your franchisor. To your point, there's economies of scale everywhere, whether it relates to equipment or marketing or whatever it happens to be. 
you will never be able to achieve pricing on a one-off basis that you get in a large organization that has that type of economic scale. The other thing is, you know, there's a commitment that's required here. I tell people, think of franchising in some way as an arranged marriage that's going to last for about 15, maybe 20 years. So you better like your partner, uh, <laughs> which is, I think, goes without saying. Does that come with an option to renew at that 15 years? It does. Some of these licenses are franchising agreements are 10, some 15, some 20. Almost always there is an option to renew. And it almost always is associated with the fact that you have, you know, made your royalty payments and been a good citizen within the organization over time. I was talking more about the marriage on that option to renew. I, uh, I, think, <laughs> I think the percentages are probably far greater than marriages in our culture today. We're talking with Jim Amos, the former operator of mailboxes, etc., which then turned into the UPS stores, as we all know, quite ubiquitous out there, and you can't go into a mall without seeing one of them. He's also a leader in the International Franchise Association as a consultant. And Jim, if I walked into the office and said, I want to go into business, I haven't done this before, my wife and I or my spouse and I have, have this money and we want to take a passion and turn it into a business, what would you tell me to do first and foremost? Well, I'll tell you, uh, everything begins and ends with a dream. So I'm going to sit people down and explore with them what it is that they're really trying to achieve. And by that, I mean, what is their dream? What is their passion about? Do they like the industry or the service that they're beginning? Do they like people? I mean, I'm going to tell you, if you're going to get in a retail business and you don't like people, you're making a big mistake. And uh, as an example, I was sitting in my office in San Diego one time and I got a call from a, uh, one of our units and that uh, operator had just thrown one of their customers out of the front door and because uh, they got upset with something that was going on. And that's not a recipe for success, particularly when the person they just threw out was a lawyer. It's not rocket science. If you're going to be in retail, you have to be comfortable around people. You have to be comfortable in servicing people. You should be comfortable with the product or service that you're offering. If you're going to get into uh, the Meineke car care system, it's probably helpful that you're comfortable around cars and you like that kind of business. Uh, if you want to be in the food business, it's ought to be something you have a passion for. And both you and your partner, if this is a couple we're talking about, should be really certain about what they're trying to achieve. It's as simple sometimes for people as a new house, a new car, improving their net worth, having an impact in their local community or even in a national way. They want to build, leave a legacy for their family, something they simply had not been able to do before in their lives that business ownership and entrepreneurship can assist them with. And I can't think of any better way to do that than seeking something in the world of business format franchising. Jim, when it comes to making that selection, do you find that the franchise conventions are a good place to go to just wander the halls and figure out, wow, I never knew that existed? And there's also the established ones versus the up and coming ones. How do I make that decision? And is it a good place to go? Well, I don't think there's any question. Every year, as an example, the International Franchise Association has their international convention around the country. And you will find a gathering of the top brands of franchising around the world. Not only that, you'll find displays of the product and services there that you can look at and discuss and 
you can talk to the uh, management and leadership in these organizations, and you will gain some immediate insight into the scope and power of franchising. And it gives you some comfort to know that uh, there's a long track record of success out there that you can plug into. As we always say, we say, look, you're in business for yourself, but you're not by yourself. So I think that kind of due diligence is really important. You you should have some understanding of what your financial goals are, as we've talked about before, and find someone that can help you put a P&L or a little bit of a business plan together. In that context, I would encourage anyone to go to the uh, IFA website, ifa.org, You're going to find every resource you need to pursue a franchise business there and all kinds of people that are eager to help you. And more than that, you'll find that the franchising community is just that. It is a community I've been associated with for over 30 years. My children and family has grown up in that community. You hear that kind of talk about businesses being communities, but this is a real one. And I say that because... What you're going to find, and it will shock you, is all of the franchise businesses, even the competitors, are eager to help each other. And they step up and share best practices and ideas. I can't give you a better example of that than franchising during uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic. All across the world of franchising, uh, coming from IFA and other places, these businesses have been working with each other to help them navigate their way through this pandemic in terms of best practices, how to approach it, what to do, you know, cost-saving devices, uh, working through our PACs, our political action committees to influence the Hill, this PPP program that everybody talks about, all of that came from resources within IFA and our work on the Hill with these congressmen and senators to be supportive of small businesses through the SBA. And I mean, it's just been truly remarkable. And so as a franchisee, you can be contacting your franchisor that you acquired the business rights through to help guide you through this pandemic or any other disaster that might strike your region, whether it be by zip code or worldwide. Absolutely. And if you stop and think about it, Really, it just makes common sense. Franchising is the most synergistic business in the planet. And I say that because the relationship between the franchisor and franchisee is paramount. And if you step back and think about this, there isn't a franchisor anywhere that can be successful without their franchisees being successful. So if they're smart, they're going to create an operating model and improve that model annually to do everything they can to see that every franchisee is the most profitable they can possibly be. And so built into the system is a relational trigger that ensures that you're going to get the help and support that you need to continue to grow. We're talking with Jim Amos on the idea, the concept, and the implementation of franchising. Jim, I want to turn it around to if I have an idea or product or service that I think and I have proven is success and I want to go into franchising my dream, what do I need to do in order to make that franchising dream come true and let others enjoy that which I've created? I don't know how many times I've said this in my career, but uh, I'm going to tell you the heart of 
of the franchising business is unit economics. And if you have a business or an idea of your own that you're operating and you think you want to grow it and perhaps franchising is the vehicle, the economic engine you want to use to drive it, the first thing you need to do is make sure that the unit economics in your single business, if that's what it is, is strong. You cannot scale a business on poor unit economics. If you have strong unit economics, you're going to be able to scale and you'll be able to do it within the franchising model over and over and over and over again. The successful franchised businesses on this planet have been successful because they had strong unit economics. If you don't start there, you will not succeed, whether you franchise or not. It's the beginning and end of the matter. We're talking with Jim Amos on the subject of franchising. For more information on whether or not this is the direction you need to go, well, visit BizSoup. That's where you find us each and every day. And on this podcast and Coast to Coast, Business Soup, where business comes for business. Jim, I want to thank you for being on this serving of Business Soup, all about franchising. Jim Amos, folks. Jim, thanks for being on Business Soup. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the opportunity to share. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.